Okie dokie. Well, hey, happy Father's Day. Again, say it a million times today, but happy Father's Day. In honor of our fathers, I kind of have a fun little introduction um, that kind of goes with our sermon, but uh, I uh, come across different articles over my time, and one of the fun, fun one that's always stuck in my mind are famous manly last words from, from men who have died, famous figures, and what were their last words? And some of them are funny, some of them are very touching and heartfelt. So I have a list, I think it'll be really fun, and so I'm gonna share them. Our first one is Doc Holliday. His last words were reported to be, this is funny. <laughs> it's believed that he always thought he would die in a gunfight or with his boots on, and we obviously know he died of tuberculosis in a hospital, and it's a belief that they put his boots on, and he looked down at his feet and saw his boots on, and he said, this is funny, and he died. So, kind of an interesting, a little bit interesting one. Uh, the next one, Kit Carson. I just wish I had time for one more bowl of chili. Men are simple, man, we are simple. And ladies, wise, if you have not gotten your husband something, just make him a bowl of chili today, and he'll be happy. Kit Carson was a famous frontiersman in the early 1800s, and this is believed to be his last. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. Uh, but check out this one, Manfred Vaughn, real quick, does anybody know who this is? His kind of, the Red Baron, thank you. This is the Red Baron, not the pizza guy, the actual pilot, World War I. His last words when being shot through the chest in his plane were kaput, which is German for broken, busted, finished. And that's what he said, kaput. So, very Red Baron-esque, I guess, that's kind of interesting. Uh, this next one, you guys will all know, his last words were, FREEDOM! <laughs> William Wallace. No, that's, uh, that's totally a movie. I have no idea, but I had to put that in there because, oh, William Wallace, Braveheart, love it, love it. All right, some more interesting ones. George Washington. Tis well, I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. He is the true die hard, George Washington, not, not Bruce Willis. Kind of a cool one. The next one, Captain James Lawrence, captain of the USS Chesapeake during the War of 1812. Don't give up the ship. Fight her till she sinks. The Navy still uses that. It is a very famous motto. I love that. Don't give up the ship. Beautiful. Sir Walter Scott, famous author. If you've ever played the card game Authors, he is the number 10 in that game. He wrote works such as Ivanhoe, Lady of the Lake, Kenilworth, and the Talisman. He said this, be a good man, be virtuous, be religious, be a good man. Nothing else will give you any comfort when you come to lie here. God bless you all. Sir Walter Scott, I like that one. The next one, Michelangelo, right? The Sistine Chapel, the sculpture of David. I give my soul to God, my body to the earth, and my worldly possessions to my nearest of kin, charging them to remember the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful. Next, G.K. Chesterton, oh my gosh, this guy. C.S. Lewis credits him very much for being so influential, critical in C.S. Lewis coming to faith in Jesus Christ. G.K. Chesterton, you may have heard this story, was such a prolific author and writer of his time that the Times, uh, the, 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 uh, new, the article magazine, the Times, sent out this question to all these famous writers all over the world, and they asked him, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton famously wrote back and he said, Dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. Very, very famous, beautiful. This man 
is incredibly, incredibly influential and such a great man. His last words were believed, or at least are recorded as, the issue is now clear, it is between light and darkness, and everyone must choose his side. Beautiful, beautiful. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the, the writer who created the most, one of the most famous literary characters of all time, Sherlock Holmes, he said, you are wonderful. This is actually a little bit sad. He was walking with his wife in their garden, and it's believed that he said, you are wonderful to her, and then he clenched his chest and he died of a heart attack. But his last words were, you are wonderful, said that to his wife, beautiful. Last, I don't have a picture, because I think it would not do it justice, but probably the famous, most famous of all last words, Jesus. It is finished. Wonderful, wonderful. It's enjoyable to read last words, uh, famous people's last words, anybody's last words, because it reveals a lot about a person. It reveals, I think it kind of reveals something about their character. It reveals something about what they valued in life. Kit Carson obviously valued chili. I think the, you wouldn't ask for chili, you know, if you didn't value that. Um, I think it also offers you a little bit of perspective on their life. How did they view their life? How did they view their death? You know, it's kind of beautiful. It's really wonderful. It also makes me wonder, what will my last words be? And what will your last words be? It's kind of interesting to think about. Hmm. Today we're going to look at, not Paul's last words, all right, but we're coming to the part in Acts, Acts chapter 20, where Paul gives this farewell address, farewell address to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He's been there for about three years. He's giving them a farewell address, and I think these still farewell addresses still pack a huge punch. I think of George Washington's farewell address when he was leaving the office. Beautiful. Read it if you have some time. We don't have time to touch on it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful speech, beautiful document. Highly worth it. I think of Jesus's kind of farewell address recorded in John chapter 13 through 17, where he's last night with the disciples. And you think of a farewell address. What are you trying to do? You're trying to encourage. You're trying to build up. You're trying to give this last little you know, lesson, last little bit of encouragement because I'm leaving. And Jesus knew he was leaving. And I just want to encourage you one last time. And Paul, the same, as we're going to read in our passage, I'm not going to see you again. I want to give you one last encouragement. I want to build you up one last time. I want to remind you one last time of these things. I think of uh, my senior year of college, the dean of the School of Theology, uh, was all retiring. He was going to retire in the summer. So this was kind of it. This was the last school year with him. And, and everybody at CCU, it's a gen ed, has to take New Testament and Old Testament. And he always taught those. So most people at the school had at least had him for one class. And he was known such an incredible guy, such an incredible man of God. And I remember at the very end of our school year, it was probably late April, uh, he spoke at one of the last chapels and packed out. I mean, just packed out. Everybody's there practically, and you could just hear it. It was so silent. Everybody was hanging on every word, and he talked so slow and so personably. And I still remember to this day, he spoke on Proverbs 22.1. A good name is worth far more than gold and silver. And he spoke quietly. He spoke intentionally and intimately to all of us. I care about your name more desirable than 
riches or gold or silver. Oh my gosh. End of it, standing ovation. I'm crying. So many people are crying. It was his last like lesson to all of us. And it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And this is what Paul is doing in this passage. This is what he is giving to these, these elders of Ephesus. I'm not going to see you anymore. And I don't know what the future holds, but I'm headed back to Jerusalem. And it may not be super great, but I want to encourage you. Keep going. We're going to look at this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read verses 13 through 38. And as we're reading, again, I kind of mentioned it. I want you to look out for how does Paul's character come out? What do we get a glimpse into his character through his words? I want you to look at what does he value? What is important to him as we read this passage? And also look for what do you think his perspective on his life and his possibly impending death? What's his view on that? All right, so kind of keep those three things, character values, those are on your outlines if you have them. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we read this together, all right? So Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 28, 38. Oh, yeah, long passage. We're going to read that together. It'll be up here on the board. Here we go. Verse 13. We, all right, stop again. <laughs> this is the second time that the author puts himself into the story, all right? If you'll recall, I can't even remember. I know I preached on it. I can't remember what chapter now. But earlier, we believe Acts is written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. We believe that's actually one big document. Not one big document. Actually, no, they're two. I think they are two, actually. But we believe he wrote both of these. And for the second time now, he has inserted himself. First person plural. We went on ahead. I think he's just showing the importance of this. I was there. I saw this. I witnessed this. All right, I'm not making this up. And this is important. I think whenever there's really significant situation, I think he's just showing I was there. All right, just to give it more <clears throat> to what he's saying. All right, so we, let's read on. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for, I was going to look up all the pronunciations. I didn't, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> we were going to take Paul aboard. He made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Essos, we took him aboard and went on to Middleman. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. For he was in a hurry. He should have wrote the ruthless elimination of hurry. should have read it. You know what's really great about that? Ruthless Elimination of Hurries, written by John Mark Coomer. Paul and John Mark had a rift in Acts. That's just hilarious. Layers on layers on layers. Folks, how would you love John Mark? Hey, you should read my book about not hurrying, Paul. You should slow down. Paul, smack him over the head, oh, man. You shouldn't be such a wimp, John Mark, and bailing on us, you know? All right. Where were we? He was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remembering, remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I'm kind of, like I said, I, I kind of structured um, around these three phases or these three ideas, Paul's character, Paul's values, and how Paul viewed his life and his death. It just kind of came to me as a way to kind of structure this passage. By no means is this uh, set in stone, and by no means is there not wiggle room. It's just kind of what came to me. I think if I kept reading this, I would probably add things to each category and maybe shift them around. But just something just to organize our thought, okay? So I want to look at Paul's character. What did we get from Paul's character? And again, add your own notes, all right, if you have something else. But this is what I saw as I was reading through this about Paul's character. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility. He had humility. Man, this guy was smart. This dude was smart. This dude was gifted in so many different ways. I served the Lord with humility. I love that. He served the Lord with tears. I think I may have wrote sincerity. Oh, yes. Humble and sincere. He cared. Sometimes when we cry about stuff, I'm just like, sometimes I've cried and I'm like, thank God I have tears. It means I care about this. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it just, it just shows he cared. He cared about them. He cared about serving the Lord. He was sincere. Oh, I love that. Next one, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. He had boldness. He was bold. He didn't hesitate. Man, it's easy to hesitate. It's easy to be, eh, you know, okay, I'm going to tell you a hard truth. You ready for it? Oh, gosh, man, this is going to be tough to talk about. You know, but I think Paul was like, no, I'll tell it to you straight. You either believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. What do you think about that? You know, I think he was just blunt, to the point. I'm going to tell you like it is. Man, he was bold. 
Love that, Paul. Love it, love it, love it. And verse 22 through 23, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Boy, Paul was courageous. Man, how well do we do with not knowing? In that I've heard testimonies of people with cancer. The worst part of it was not knowing what it was. Right? It's the unknown. Just sometimes knowing it, I have heard psychologists say it will boost your mood just to at least know that it's this. Just to know it's that. And here's the path forward. He didn't know what was going to happen. He knew he was going back to Jerusalem. He had no idea what was going to come. All he knew was the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, hardships are about to happen. Like, you know what? I'm the Paul that got stoned in, in Lydia. And I'm the Paul that walked back into that city after I got stoned. So you know what? I'm heading on to Jerusalem. And I'm going. Man, what a guy. Courageous. I love that. So awesome. Verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Man, he was honorable. He didn't covet. Man, lots of speakers. Uh, lots of, I mean, you kind of see it in verse 30. Uh, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Again, in that time period, very common. You would have people very skilled in rhetoric. That's how they made their living, right? You built followers. You got money from them. You wanted that. That's how they made money. And so he is showing, no, I did not do it for money. I didn't do it for clothing. I wasn't trying to get something from you. That's why he continues on showing... I worked with my own hands. I supplied my own needs. I didn't do it for money. I'm not just saying something to get money. So I think we can trust him. Right? Man, I love that. I love that. I love that. In everything, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Boy, he was a hard worker, and he gave. Whew. Man, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. That's a, that's a verse that I can just sit on for a while. It's convicting. Man, it's important. Hard work. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help the weak. Oh, am I going to work really hard to help the weak? Depends on the day, maybe. I don't know, right? But he's like, man, preaching, I'm working. And by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Man, I'm blessed by Paul's character. What an example. What an what a, uh, example of, of a man who followed after Christ with his whole heart. What a focused man. He had one goal in mind. I think it's wonderful. We see in other passages, imitate Paul. Paul speaks to his followers. Imitate me. And I think we can just gain so much from this Paul and his character. We're going to get more, I'll explain more of it, but let's just move on to Paul's values and then we'll kind of explain all these things. Let's go on to Paul's values. Here we go. Verse 24, this is what I have. Again, write down if you saw something else. No problem at all. These are not exhaustive lists. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I think Paul valued the gospel, obviously. <laughs> the good news of God's grace. That was his singular goal. That was his task. He gave himself all to it. He valued it. 
He loved it. Man. Verse 28 through 31. Again, I think coming through that, you can see he values the church in Ephesus. Let's read it again. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's encouraging these elders. Be shepherds of the church of God. Uh, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that is the only time in the Bible we see something of church of God. And I believe our association, we're the church of God, Anderson, Indiana. The reason why they named it that was because that is the only kind of name given in the Bible, church of God. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty, pretty sure on that. But it's kind of neat. The church of God. That's how he viewed it. And that's wonderful. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in. They're not going to spare the flock. Man, be on your guard. Be on your guard. He cares about the church in Ephesus. He is encouraging one last time. Oh, I love that. I love that. Those are two things that kind of stood out to me that Paul values. And, okay, great. Whew. All of a sudden, everything went blank, and I was about to... Do this willy-nilly. All right. Paul's perspective on his life and death. Again, verse 24, again, kind of reaches into both categories. I can consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task of the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, Paul's perspective on his life, not worth that much. I don't care too much about it. All I care about finishing the race, and completing the task. That's it. Death, huh. as long as I finish the task and do my own thing, hmm, you know, whatever. Man. It's kind of interesting, you know, again, that line alone, you think about those other men that we just learned about or we just saw their last words and how different, how different Paul's kind of view on his life and his potential impending death is different from those men. And it's wonderful. Would this be, to some degree, your last words? We know, I think it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Paul, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Man. We know he did it. He finished. What an amazing man. I just like to honor that. Honor Paul. What an amazing man. What a man to emulate, what a man to imitate. And again, he is speaking this to the elders of Ephesus, but he's also speaking that to us. And we, as, as many uh, teachers and different people say, we, we look over the shoulder of who this letter was for. And we look over the shoulder, and it's kind of towards us as well. And Paul is encouraging us. And I, really, my conclusion it's just one phrase. It's kind of a contemporary phrase. I was trying to think to sum up all of this, and I'm going to give it to you now, but we're going to dive into it, so we're not, we're not, we're not done yet. <laughs> but the conclusion and kind of the thing I think Paul is really saying to these elders, and I think what he's saying to us today is this. Stay with me. Not stay with me, because he knows he's going, and he knows he's not going to see them again. But it's the phrase that we say, now stay with me. Now stay with me. I was a runner once. I remember in a hard workout. Oh, brutal workout. One of my teammates was starting to, you know, we're feeling it. And you're a teammate. You're trying to encourage your teammate. And I remember saying this exact phrase, stay with me. 
Stay with me. Stay with me. Come on. Stay with me. And I think that's what Paul is saying to this church, these elders, and I think that's what he's speaking to us today to encourage you. He's saying, hey, stay with me. Stay with me. I know it's going to get hard. Can you imagine? You're with Paul for three years. The Paul. You have him always there. You always have that guy you can go to. Hey, what about this? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, it's so nice to have you. I have thought this many times with my own father. So nice to have my dad. I need to go to you. Dad, I need help with this. Oh, thank you. And truthfully, I have more in today when I don't have that. That's a little bit scary. You don't have that person that you just know is going to give it to you straight and you really trust them. You trust they have great wisdom. They have great guidance. And you're not going to see them again. And that's kind of scary. What if I don't know the answer? What if I don't know what to do? What if something comes in that's too hard? saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Keep your head in it. And be on your guard. Stay with me. Keep caring about this. Man, he doesn't really say it in this passage, but we know from Paul, trust in the Lord. Look to his Holy Spirit. And be brave. Be bold. Be courageous. And remember the Lord's words. Remember what he has said. Recall them. Remind yourself. Dwell on his word daily. Man, don't be about yourself. Don't be about trying to build something for yourself. Serve the Lord. Serve other people. Serve the weak. Work hard. Man, that's what Paul is saying. He's encouraging this church that's not going to have them there. And that'd be tough, right? That'd be really tough. He's encouraging us today. Man, be humble. Be humble. I want to throw up that slide about Paul's character because we have humility, we have sincerity, we have boldness, we have courage, we have don't covet, we have be a hard worker so we can give generously. Um, I'm going to write a book one day that's called Everything I Learned About Life I Learned in Drum Lessons. Um, no, I'm not going to write that, but I'm, I'm taking drum lessons right now, and, and it's, I'm just like, every day, every time I have a lesson, I'm just like, this is such a great lesson for life. <laughs> and one of the hard things in drums, I mean, you, you probably all imagine, you, you look at John, you're like, how can John do all four appendages and do it so well and in sync? And I always wonder that, and, and I'm just like, I'll be practicing doing something, and I'll just tell my teacher, I'm like, Golly, I'm just I'm trying to think of all these million different things, where I'm going, what I got to do. Is the foot on beat? And is, you know, am I getting this and that? And he's like, he's like, you're thinking about too much. You got too much. He's like, you got to be simple. You got to simplify. You got to think about one thing. You have one goal in mind. All right? And, and that's how you got to practice. Sometimes you're practicing for speed, so don't be perfect. Just go fast. and Just go as fast as you can. Right? And then he's like, another time, throw that away. Now I'm trying to be accurate. I'm trying to be precise. So don't go fast. Just be precise. Focus. And so I want you to do with this list, I want you to take one thing. You know, I've heard if the devil can't keep you from fighting battles, he'll make you fight a lot of battles. All right? He'll overwhelm you. If we've learned anything from history and military battles, you don't want to fight multiple fronts. Okay? That is not to your advantage to be fighting all these different places all around you. Right? Pick one of these. Pick one of these. I got to work on this this week. I got to work on humility. 
I'm a know-it-all. Nobody can tell me anything. And whenever someone tries to tell me anything, I want to bite them, right? I want to get on them. Be humble, sincere. I need to care a little bit more this week. I need to care about others. I need to care about the church. Boldness, courageous, coveting, hard worker, giver, whatever it may be. I love, uh, there's a uh, famous, uh, I forget the phrase, it's Greek, but in ancient Greek, we know the Olympics, and uh, that's where we get the Olympics, and there was a stadium, and there was a, there was a phrase written over the doorway. It was in Greek, I don't remember the Greek, but it translates to strip or retire. Love it. The idea in ancient Greek, in the Olympics, all the men were naked when they performed, right? When they worked out, that's how it was, all right? There were no spectators as well. And so that phrase is perfect. You strip, and you get in the game, or you get in the match, or you retire. And I think Paul would love that phrase. Yeah, strip or retire. Get in the game. Be in it. Keep following the Lord with all your heart. Get in there. Keep following after Christ. Keep seeking Him. Keep following Him with all your heart. Keep working. Keep, keep working hard towards His purposes. Keep relying on the Lord. Keep praying. Keep dwelling on His Word. Keep going. Get in the game. Get in the fight. Run the race. Get in the race so that you can get the prize. Run in such ways to get the prize. Or retire. And guess what? Retirement is not, in this analogy, is not, this is not me anymore. I think he would say, get in it. Or if you're not in it, boy, God help you. Because we're all kind of in it. We don't retire from following Christ. We don't retire from living for his purposes. We get in it. And we get going. And again, you don't sprint at the beginning of a race. <laughs> you don't sprint at the middle of the race. And so I encourage you this morning, pick one of these. Man, I think this is a little bit pragmatic. I know we've been talking about pragmatic, but I get it. I think, and as Dad said, there's some good things for pragmatism. It's not all bad. And I think one of those is, man, we've got to be a little bit pragmatic. If we try to do all too much too quickly, you try to sit down on the bench, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to try to rep out 315 right now. Your arm's going to break off, right? Got to start, got to build. Got to build, build. And I encourage you this morning, pick one of these. How am I going to work on this? How am I going to implement it? What does this look like for me? I can't speak to all of you. I don't know all your situations or exactly which one you're going to pick and what that looks like for you, but I think you can figure that out. If I got to grow in, in boldness, I know how I could be more bold. If I got to grow in courageousness or be encouraged, being brave, I know how I could do. I encourage you to do that this, this week. I encourage you to follow Paul. Follow Paul and imitate him. Amen. Paul's values, he valued the church of God. He valued the church in Ephesus. He genuinely cared about the church and the health of the church. He valued finishing his race and completing his task. Let's talk about the church. Do we value the church this morning? We got VBS coming up, folks. We need you. We need you. Uh, we need you. I need you as rec team leader. 
John needs you as the head honcho over all of it. Misty needs craftspeople. We need teachers. We need you. And, and, and I need you to value the church, and to value what's going on at the church, and to value what we're trying to do here at this church. I need you to do that. We need to be a part of this. We need it. I need you to value the community outreach. We have a great ministry opportunity to bless people at Vintage Park Assisted Living where we used to carol. We used to carol there. Those people, they need it. We need that little encouragement. We got some amazing cards last time. Just being so grateful for what we did. It was small, but boy, it was meaningful. I encourage you to value it, to value what's going on, to value our ministries. Man, I love going to my chiropractic physical therapist buddy. I love working on the body because the church is a body, and I love learning more about my body and how not in sync my body is, all right? And it always creates fusses and mess-ups and, and total pain. And I think it's a great illustration. Every body part, every muscle, every tendon's gotta pull its weight. Gotta pull its weight. It's gotta work together. It gets out of sync, other things start working over time, and those eventually break in strength. And then we're just in a whole host of issues. And then we can't run. I love using that illustration. God has a race for Live Oaks Church to run. To run well, as I'm trying to get healthy enough to run again, to run well, the body's got to be in sync. And the big muscles got to be doing their job, but the little muscles got to be doing their job too. Or else the big muscles are going to start, they're going to start straining, start pulling. They're going to be out of sync. It takes all of us takes us all. I want to encourage you in that. Keep pulling your part. Keep pulling your part. <laughs> Keep playing your part. Keep playing your part. Keep playing your role. Don't have to go crazy, right? We're not trying to sprint, but we can play a part. We can play a part. There are many opportunities. Teaching kids, a oh, great opportunity. Community outreach, VBS. There are a whole host of opportunities. Come here a little bit early. Prayer. The prayer group, they would love people. Come a little bit earlier, clean the facility, get it ready for more donuts to spill on the ground out there. We love it. Come on now. Let's keep working together so that we can run well and efficiently. Paul's perspective on his life and death. I'll close with this. Yeah. Nick, I'll bring you up, man. I think you totally got time for it. Thanks, brother. Perspective on his life and death. Is that your goal? Is that your goal of your life? To complete the task that God has given to me. Do you know what that task is? That may be the question you may need to pray this week. Do you know the task that God has called you to? Are you clear on it? Is it clear? Is it concise? Are you sure it's the Lord? What task is he calling you? And is that your goal? Is that your goal? And when you get to the end of your life, when you're laying on your deathbed, are you going to say, you know what? I really just wish I had one more Chick-fil-A sandwich. Mm. Or are you going to say, man, it was all about completing this task the Lord gave to me. And boy, did I do it. And I gave it my all. Man. I remember uh, one famous uh, saying, I can't remember who said it. Said, I hope when I get to heaven, I'm completely naked and I got nothing. And he said, you know why? Because it means I gave it all here on earth. Boy, I love that. That's my way to go out. I'm going to sprint, 
and everything is just going to coming off. I gave it all right at the end. I gave it all here now. Is that your goal? Is that your task? Is that your purpose? Paul's saying to us, stay with me. Stay with me. Keep running with me. We're in a running club. We're running after the Lord together. Stay with me. Come on. Stay with me. That's what he's saying to us. I encourage you this morning and this week. Seek the Lord. And what do I need to do? How I can continue to stay with him on his pace? We don't always get to run on our own pace. How can we run on the Lord's pace and with Paul this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to. I just want to. I just want to encourage you guys, right? So a little bit mix of what Grant's talking about, what I talked about earlier. I guarantee God wants you there, right? 